Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Hardest Films on Social. I'm Graham Murray. Joining me as always, the man from Down Under, Ian Kilroy, and in his cave somewhere with his nice big microphone, Cameron Pope. Also joining us this week is the, the former editor of Smile Well that never exists anymore, unfortunately. We'll get onto that much later in the programme, Sean O'Toole. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hope we're all well. Huddersfield Town, a uh, couple of games on being looking really, really solid. Went up against Preston North End. We mentioned on the last podcast that Preston could be a bit of a bogey team and ended up being a bogey team as a second half. 15 minutes of madness, really. Cost us in a 2-1 defeat with two goals from Alan Brown for Preston. And a solitary goal for Town coming from Fraser Campbell in the first half. Contentious decision in regards to a red card, but we've been on the right end of one of those earlier in the season so it was probably that second half madness that we're going to focus on first because Naby Sarr ended up getting sent off so all in all an eventful game actually probably a good watch for those of you who flog 10 quid to watch on iFollow but if you want to sound, hear Daleks like Doctor Who probably uh, iPlayer was the, the way forward for you gentlemen what, what are we thinking on that it was certainly an eventful game and, and probably worth that 10 quid if you were a, a fan that risked the all iFollow well, it was, Greg. It was a good game. And we said on here uh, in the previous episode that it wasn't going to be one for the purists, when in actual fact, it was certainly an entertaining affair. And OK, our excellent run of form has come to an end. And on balance, you could argue that the result was fair. Um, it's been a while uh, since we've been able to say that, but I think we were probably on the right end uh, of a defeat. I thought we made a good account of ourselves, but Preston had more in the tank over 90 minutes. Uh, it's been great to see some of the Terrier spirit of old come flooding back, but I think we made a bit of a dog's dinner uh, of this second half. Two minutes of chaos changed the complexion of the game completely, and we've got to hand it to Preston. Two class finishes from Alan Brown. Uh, it took them really well. However, they were facilitated by a comedy of errors. Uh, first instance, Lacuna is stood stock still in the box, doesn't pick up his man. He's gone flying past him from about three yards behind, does recover in time to make the challenge, and then trips over the ball in doing so, presents it straight to Alan Brown, and then, okay, it's a great finish from just inside the area. Um, well worthy of the equaliser. Moments later, clear breakdown in communication. The ball's coming in from the wing with height on it. If it's Ben Hamers, he has to be shouting for that and punching clear. If it's Nabi Sars, he has to be confident he can win that aerial battle and heading clear. If in doubt, Hamer's arriving at pace there. I think that's always the goalkeeper's ball and Naby is stood plumbing his way, gets in the way. And again, of course, good finish from Brown. On another day, not both of those goals go in. You know, you could say there was a slice of luck. He was just in the right place at the right time for the second one. He was presented the ball by Bakuna for the first. But look, we've had the rub of the green in other games. For example, the draw at Rotherham. Uh, but that slice of luck just wasn't quite there at the end. And the most pertinent example of that is Peeper's effort off the post, um, which was, you know, preceded just before by his the touch from the keeper around the post to uh, uh, turn the previous shot. So, look, on the plus side, Campbell's showing excellent composure there in eight minutes to finish when he's clearly losing his balance. Lewis O'Brien showing exactly what he brings to the team, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of that uh, now that he's fit again. But, yeah, I think on balance there, I don't think we can have too many complaints. The red card for me, it's 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 an orange, isn't it? It's one of those, you see them giving, you see them not. Uh, I think it's fair to say it didn't change the complexion of the game because we actually played better with 10 men. We were more in the game. Um, didn't fully expect we were going to get an equaliser at the end of it. Uh, but, you know, as we say, game coming up in midweek, um, we've got to get back on the horse. And I don't think it's a disastrous result. I think it's probably a fair one. 
I think the game hinged on the red card. I think that's where it came to. I know we were struggling at that point, but but when when you're pushing as well as we were right at the end of the end of the second half, things like just finish it for you. And even with ten men, we looked really good at the end. And just with the extra body, I think would have, I think would have definitely taken something from that game. But look, mm. last week the, the the final game against um, Derby midweek, um, it was like a routine win. That's what we spoke of last week. And I, I think it felt more like a routine defeat. It felt like um, Preston outplayed us. And to be fair, it's all right going in as we're a town podcast, so we talk. We, we mainly concentrate about town. But realistically, yesterday, some games you win, some games you lose, some games you gifted them by poor opposition play. And then some other games, you, you just deservedly beaten by a team that's better coached than you are. And that's what happened yesterday. Preston changed their formation 20 minutes before the start of the game based on the team sheet that we put out. That, that That's that's the confidence um, Neil has with his, with his team. And, and it showed they just, they just, they just, they played us better than I think anyone else has this season. I felt they outplayed us. First 15 minutes, we started really well, really, really well. Campbell's clinical finish. He had a lot to do when that ball came in. He's, he's slower now than he was before, but he managed to hold the defender off. And I still thought the goalkeeper was going to get there before him. And he managed to put he managed to put it in the back of the net, I think between the keeper's legs. That's, that's clinical finishing for, for a striker that over the last 12, 12 months or what, 18 months now, um, he hasn't been very clinical. But, but that seems to have changed this season under this new approach. Um, and that's good. The first 15 minutes were fine. And then Preston settled into their new formation pretty well after the first 15 minutes. And, I felt they controlled it. I thought Bakuna went missing. He's been good last couple of games, but again, in, in, in games where you've got to dig it out a little bit, sometimes he can be a bit of a luxury. Doesn't throw himself about a bit, gets a little bit... He looks petulant the way he plays. Um, it's not necessarily lazy, but just his behaviour just... He is it doesn't lazy. Seems, he is lazy. It doesn't seem synonymous with, with, with the way Corbin is trying to get us to play or, or how I think he's, he's trying to get us to play. Um, and then the 50 minutes after after halftime, we've the first 50 minutes of a game and the second 50 minutes after halftime don't usually correlate to the rest of the game. Everyone's it's really frantic and the game changes based on what's being said at halftime. And, and we were just unfortunate. The first 50, we could have been two or three nil up after the first 50 minutes in this game. We weren't. We were one nil up. We didn't put the game to bed. And in the second 15 minutes after halftime, um, Preston did that. They won the game at that point. The first goal, Bakuna was at fault again just not tracking and and, and that that's a, a behavioral not a talent issue but but um a mental uh issue when, when it comes to that and for the second goal i am 100 percent with cam I, I can't blame um ben hamer for that because he has to have called he, he has to have called for that and um Nabi Sar's not got out of his way and, and and that's that that is an error when it comes to centre-back play as bad as passing it across your goal, which maybe not necessarily is the case anymore. And also passing it back to the center of the goal when you're giving it back to the keeper. And Nabisar seems to do all three of those things quite regularly. It's very quickly becoming apparent the type of player that Nabisar is. Um, he has quite a high floor, I think, in that he's always going to be a, a higher league one player and a lower championship player. He's, he's, his abilities are, um, or his lack of abilities is covered a lot by athleticism in that, He's big and he's fast and he's pretty powerful. So if he does make an error, there's a lot of times he can get back and um, and, and and stop stop anything coming from a mistake that he's made. But for me, the sending off is 100% of his red card. He, he's been beaten there and he's, he's grabbed him. It's, it's not something you choose to do in that point. That's just something that naturally happens. If, if a, a striker is in front of you, you know he's away, you grab him. You grab him every day of the week. And, and unfortunately, it's a red card. It is a red card. Pots in the first half... Um, 
for the second half. Was people are questioning whether that should have been a sending off? Um, he went in, he went in one footed. But what happens is halfway through the tackle, you can see him pull one foot out, and he ends up kind of clattering into Campbell with both both feet a little bit. But that's only because he tried to remove himself from the tackle. Not a red card for me. That's a yellow card. He's made a, a distinct effort to try and remove himself and Campbell from danger. Um, it was just a high intensity crash that happens in in this level of football. Pipper again is our main man going forward. He's what we are. We should just feel Pipper. That's what we are at the moment. If he's if he's on fire and getting things going up front, then then we've got a chance. Um, and it's nice to see him because we thought he might have been struggling with an injury after the last game, but we got that one wrong in that it's Toffolo. Toffolo was heavily strapped yesterday with blue tape on his right knee. And I don't think I'd noticed that in games before yesterday. Um, Karoma's dropped to the bench. And I can only believe that's anything to do with conditioning. It can't be formed because he's he's brilliant. Um, when he came on yesterday, the first thing he does is puts in Pippa who crashes on outside the, the right and post. Um, already the injuries are telling and um, conditioning is becoming more and more of an issue. And I think that game yesterday was just too much for us after the effort we've been putting in recently. Um, and to turn it around again in another few days for a midweek game this week coming up, it's going to be a tough ask for town to turn it around. But um, it's not one to overreact from yesterday. It's one of those games where it just didn't go our way. Whereas against Derby, it did go our way. Everything against Swansea went our way. For once it hasn't. And um, that's going to happen over the course of the season. Onwards and upwards. Yeah, definitely. No, I've been... I sort of agree with a lot a lot of that there. Um, I think that that game were there to be won against Preston. And like I said, they were just a bit, I like to say, cuter. They're just a bit cuter in how they played, um, in terms of the man-marking, just sort of the dirty work. Once they got that lead, you know, they did what a lot of clever championship sides do and they just sort of tighten, tighten up, sit deep, um, draw fouls. And they were just they were just cuter. They were cleverer. Um on my notes here, I've got Sa is the new Sodji. Bakuna still hasn't grown up. Why is Coburn wearing white trainers? Um, yeah, there's a lot of doodles and, and random things. But yeah, Sa, I mean, he is like Sodji, isn't he? He reminds me of Sodji in terms of he's got moments of brilliance and then all of a sudden he does something completely, you know, stupid. Um I think he's been a good addition, but like I say, uh, like what you said, Ian, is um, he's not of that calibre of championship centre back that you, you you need. But I think he's been doing quite well, in in all honesty. He was at fault, in my opinion, for uh, the second goal from Preston. Um, I think it's one of them, you know, people with a footballing brain. Whether you play football or you don't, you know, when it comes down to communication between defenders and goalkeepers, you know, you see it time and time again when a ball's floated in from whatever angle, the keeper might call it, but the defender will decide to get there first and he'll hit it into stands and you think, fair play to you, you've stepped up and you've made that decision. On the other hand, a ball might get floated in, you know, and the defender calls it and the keeper gets there first and makes that decision. Yet, you know, yesterday, Neither of them made the decision. Like I say, we, we haven't got mics hooked up, but we would assume that Hamer gave the call um, and Saar just stood there like an ornament and got in the way uh, and ultimately was a nice, clever little finish over the top. But that just kind of... There, OT, though. There's, no, there's no one in the stadium. So like, if, if the stadium is full and the goal is made a shout, the defender's got a, an excuse and say, oh, I didn't know where it came from, I don't know who did it. But there's no one in the stadium. There's just the players. 
So any call should be very, very clear. So the blame for the goal should be very clear to everybody. Everybody should yeah. be aware who's at fault for that. And Hamer's come in for a lot of stick recently, and I think that he's making real, real improvements. Um, I think he still just makes me a little bit nervous how long he holds onto the ball with them pass backs, but he's, uh, he made some brilliant saves yesterday. Um, he seems to be growing in confidence and, and kind of showing why he's been at clubs like Derby. Um, so, yeah, it, they, were, they were the better team in the end. We didn't come out in the second half at all, uh, which was really disappointing to see uh, in terms of, like, you know, putting it to Preston and the sending off completely killed it. Um, but I'm just thinking back, the last time I was on the, the podcast was, uh, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And uh, I had a little listen on my way home from work. And, you know, we were so sort of tired and bored of the kind of football that we were playing at town and really worried. And that was obviously, you know, beckoning the survival of the championship last season. Uh, and if you look at the football we're playing now, I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's polar opposites. We're, we're playing good attacking football. It's fluent. Um, you know, we're pulling the fullbacks and, and the wingers or the wingbacks, whatever formation the opposition's playing, we're pulling them out wide and then sneaking it into them little channels. Um, it's beautiful to see, to be honest. Uh, and I don't mind losing if we're playing like that. Look at this. Just put put this because it is in my notes. How do you solve a problem like Janinia Bakuna? Because anyone who's seen him warming up in front of the south stand sees someone who's a bit like the fat kid in PE who's just you know trying to uh, get away with doing as little as he possibly can. Um, I said as the fat kid in PE, but um, you know he's. <laughs> it, it, his work rate and, and ethic when he wants to, and you saw that with the goal that he scored against Derby, when he wants to put it in, he'll, he'll, he'll run the length of the pitch if, if he can do. But how do you get the best out of him every single week? And that's the biggest question that we've got to answer because there's only so many times you can keep having this same issue talked about. And he's done this quite a few times before you start looking, can we get, you know, Rangers were interested is there a better option out there for Huddersfield Town Football Club in this style of play? Because it's getting to that point now where I'm just a little bit bored of the petulance within Janidia Bakuni's play. I think it's a difficult one because, okay, he's he's 23 years old and as a fellow 23-year-old, you can kind of say that he's a young player still and, okay, young players mature at different speeds, but he's not going to be a young player for very much longer and you can't make a career out of having potential and he's got bags of that nobody is disputing it you can see that he that he's 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 got craft and he's got skill and he has got that uh ability to to make things happen out of seemingly nothing but he doesn't do it anywhere near as consistently as he should be and okay it looks as if um and i'm sure we'll get onto this more in the rest of the episode but we can very much say that carlos the consensus is that he's getting more out of players than they've had before we heard about what benza was saying um post match last week uh, in his interview about how much he's respond, how well he's responded to Carlos's method of coaching, but if you, if you have an excellent man manager like Carlos, who an, an experienced one as well, who's worked especially with youth players in in youth setups, if he can't get the best out of him, I don't see who's going to be able to. I mean, I don't know the approach that's going to work best with him. If I'm honest, he doesn't need 
Um, he doesn't need telling how good he is because he knows that, you know, you can see from his play. And if anything, I think he overestimates it sometimes with his flicky and flashy back heels. Um, when really the basics is what's needed 80% of the time in these games, you know, games are turned on a moment of flair, not pointless flair for 40 minutes that loses your possession. So I don't know. I hope that Carlos has a plan with him. I hope that the fact that we've got um, a youth coach in a senior job will help because if there's a sort of demographic that he can get the most out of, it's going to be a young Janino Bakuna, uh, just in the way that we hope that, say, Wagner might be able to get best out of Sobby. Uh, that didn't happen. And I hope this isn't going to be the same case. He's offered us more, way more than Sobby ever will have done. But he's not going to go down as, you know, a good young player, a good signing. And this is these are formative years of his career now. Um, he does need to book his ideas up a little bit. That's the problem. And so people will run out of, of patience with him. It's frustrating and he buys himself more time with great performances, but that doesn't happen week in, week out. We'll pick out he'll pick out one a month and that'll silence a few critics. But he's not going to get away with that for much longer, I don't feel. He is frustrating to watch and it is the work rate. It's, it's, it's the effort and that is the single easiest thing to improve on. But only he can do that. It's not that it's a facet of his game in particular that needs improving, you know, his passing, his finishing, his control, whatever. He doesn't need to get loads fitter. He needs to apply himself more. And so I question just how much a coach can instill that in someone. Oh, look, if if Junior, if he was if Bakuna was the um, finisher article, he wouldn't be at town. He'd be far too good for us. If if he was as consistent as you want players to be. He has all the talents to play at the very highest level. He has. He's that good. When he wants to be that good or when the game suits his game, he's that good. It's really tough with him because players like that need arrogance. They need arrogance to have the confidence to be able to take players on. And you can look through the divisions and you'll find players like that. There's Ozil at Arsenal, similar type of guy, obviously 10 times better, but same, same effect. If the game's, it flat track bullies, games, if, if the game goes in their favour, they turn up and they do they show up a little bit and, and the cherry on top that wins games when games are easier. Um, last year, he came in, he had a little partnership with Diakabi for a few weeks that it seemed to pick him up and he was great, great for a little while. And as soon as something's not quite perfect, he just, just I don't know, he's off the boil a little bit. I, I don't know what the answer is with him. And do you know what? I, I don't think you can get it. And I don't think he'll get the answer at Huddersfield Town. I don't think he will. I think well, the well, ego... We're in the squad, aren't we? Um... It's yeah. just the ego, Goti. It's just it's and that's not a bad thing because I think for that attacking attacking midfielder role, maybe not an ACM, but you have to have a little bit of it. You have to be able to take those risks. But when the risks don't work, you can't disappear game after game after game. And that's the issue. When it doesn't work, it looks like he's having a temper tantrum. And he might and, and that's not saying he is doing that, but it looks like he is. It looks like that to fans, and that gets fans on his back. That's a really big issue because Players feel stuff when they're on the field. When, when you're on the field, you know what the vibe is from the stadium. And, and he, he doesn't help himself with with the way he carries himself. And, and last year, when he got sent off against Forest late on, at that point, I said on here that I'd had enough. I'd had enough. Not that my, my not that my opinion's worth anything, but at that point, it was just it was just it just was the perfect example of, of the petulance of of a young player that plays with a certain type of style and approach to the game that they probably needs to learn a little bit. And, and when he does learn a little bit, his consistency will improve. I think it's a double-edged sword. He's arrogant. He plays in that way. When things don't go his way, he kind of has a bit of a, a bit of an issue with it. And then if he didn't 
and he just concentrated on playing, he'd be twice the player he is and he wouldn't be at a club like town. He'd be at a Premier League or he'd be somewhere else in Europe in a top division, not in a championship league that's um, a championship team that's aiming for mid-table at best. So he'll sort himself out, but I think he's got to sort himself out for him, not for us, not for town, not for performances with us, but for his own career because he has stuff that other people don't have. He can create chances and it's the hardest position to impress at. If you're a striker and you score goals, it's there, it's written, you've banged 20 in, you can score. Grant played left wing. How many people said he did nothing but score? Still went for 15 million because if you're scoring 18, 19 goals, no one cares what else you do. You're contributing points directly through goals. If you're an attacking midfielder, you don't get the same amount of goals to get moves like that. You have to offer consistency as well as creativity, just like Aaron Moy did. Bakuna has every ability to be at that level that Moy was. Just doesn't have the consistency and, and how he gets there, it beats me. In my in my uh, years of playing football, I've not really seen players that kind of have that issue and go up. Normally, they kind of disappear. With Michael Collins at town for years, McCune just again three four times a player. Collins was it's the same type of thing. They could do things, but for two three games in a row, then they do nothing. A bit like Van Lapara as well, isn't it? A similar kind of player as well, a bit of a flair player, a uh, bit hit and miss. But I, I think I mean I. I work in behaviour and uh, I think he needs a bit of two-to-one, we call it. Uh, uh, two members of staff to one with Bakuna. He needs a few laps around Leeds Road playing fields for me. Uh, or he needs to get up Castle Hill steps or Saddleworth steps or something like that. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, you see what uh, Carlos Corbin has brought some of the players forward, though, haven't he? You know, Ho- Hoggy looks a little bit more capable again. You know, he, he seems to be sort of keeping the ball moving. Um, you know, Karoma, can't believe how well he's doing. You know, when when we first signed him, we we're kind of thinking, oh God, it's another it's another lad from lower league that we're going to try and sprinkle some magic dust over, and he's going to go for, for less money than we bought him for. And you know, you know, he's he's, he's come on a, a long way, hasn't he? Uh, you know, so he hopefully can do it with Bakuna. I wish I knew. I do think there is a player in there. I think we all do. It's just how you get it out of him. I'm not sure how. Going into these next few few games, we've picked up on the the squad element, but Nabisar is suspended. Um, who plays in defence? Do do we go with Schindler and, and, and Stearman, do, or do we go three at the back? Because it, it seems to me we do need some pace at the back. Nabisar's not the quickest, but he's definitely quicker than what we have. So you, you'd assume that Critchell will come in and, and we probably go five at the back again because it seems to be the the best formation for Huddersfield Town Football Club with the players that we have at the minute. Well I think it's in, it's interesting to look at the opposition we're coming up against in midweek. Obviously we've got um we've got Birmingham who have really struggled so far this season. They've scored three goals in, in all competitions. They've not won since opening day. Their strikers haven't actually scored a goal between them. Uh, that's, you know, a big problem from Lukas Jukovic and Scott Hogan. They're yet to bag. Um, so perhaps Naby's, miss, Naby's absence won't be quite as significant. Um, although you could argue on yesterday's showing, he might not be as missed quite as much as uh, as beforehand. Um, but okay, they line up in a 5-3-2 and there's probably, there's not, there, there's not, a great chance was being overrun in the centre of the park, you know what I mean? However, they are going to be hard to break down because they've only conceded four. So mm, I'm wondering, do we commit five to defence? I know that the greatest outlet is going forward, of course, with with his fullbacks Um, and hoping that they're both still fit after what a a gap of, uh, of four days, then hopefully that's what we'll go with again. But 
do we go with five at the back or do we switch to a four knowing that we're not up against the biggest goal threat in the division? We probably do need to pile more at them. Um, do we go for an extra man in the middle of the park? But one thing's for certain, for me, whatever shape we line up with, I'd like probably to see Critchlow come back in a little bit again. This is the time to be rotating players. This is a game where we're fancied, but certainly going into the game as favourites. Uh, I'm not advocating that he plays full out 90 minutes, etc. Um, but if we're going to be focusing on youth, which is very clearly the policy this year, then those young players need to be having t- game time and meaningful fixtures. This is certainly a meaningful fixture and there's certainly um, an opening now to bring him into the side. So yeah, uh, Naby's gone. I would certainly like to see Critchlow playing some part just to, again, it's 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 adding experience in, in, in crucial games um, and that might suit as well. I don't want him to be called upon, say, in three weeks' time when he's not featured, um, when he's not featured at all properly. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd want to see him brought in probably from the start um, purely just to add to a bit more experience, yeah. That'd be Critchlow, hasn't it? He's got to come in. We, we've tried Stearman and Schindler timeless okay. times before, so many times before, and it just doesn't work. He's pretty awful, actually. Um, and just bringing Siren straight away, the, the team looked different. Even um, with Critchlow playing the first few games, it, we looked all right. We looked okay at the back. It looked so much better than last year where Stearman looked like he was ready to go to, for, to the glue yard. He looked like he were absolutely done, but he's had a nice little change of haircut. He looks like a medieval prince now, a bit like Uhtred of Bebenberg or... So rocking something pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know where he's been to get his hair sorted out, but he looks banging compared to what he did. Um, and with his hair, his, his abilities have improved too. He looks. He looks really good at the moment. Stearman, sorry, he's doing like little crotch turns and stuff. Have you seen him? He looks you, a different player. He might have eaten a bit of meat. He's growing out his powers. It's absolutely spot on. I think he's got on the paleo. He's got on the paleo diet. He must have U-turned <laughs> from veganism to uh, a bit more meat or something because. <laughs> He looks great. No, he looks fantastic. And and he to me, going into this season, I thought Schindler was the A player. I thought he was our better defender. It's not, is it? Stearman's been head and shoulders above him this year. And that's why she, that's why Stearman started this weekend. I think we're going to be going with the five at the back or the three at the back, um, the three centre-backs, because I don't believe Corbin went into the season wanting to play that. But this is how much faith I have him in, I have in him now, in that I reckon he's noticed that the fullbacks are our best attacking outlet so we're changing everything around to allow them to bomb on more and against a team that don't concede many but that they don't score many the challenge will be to try and score anything um so they'll be trying to make it so our, our fullbacks bang on again as, as they have done in the most recent games like i think yesterday um there was a graphic where it showed how many players typically touch the ball where where on the field um and campbell was basically on the centre spot. That's where most of his touches were. But right next to him were Toffolo and Pippa. They, they were that far upfield for most of the game. And that was in a game where I didn't really feel like we pressed very well. And, and we must have been something totally wild in the previous couple of games. So now nah, we'll, we'll, we'll chuck three at the back, I hope, with um, Critchlow for the little bit of pace he cover. Um, but everything's about getting the fullbacks into the game as much as possible because they're the game winners. They lobside the game so much. It's so difficult tracking them because when they go, they don't just go with medium pace, do they? They are fast guys. They are gone. And they don't just overlap, they underlap, they they run diagonals. Sometimes you're seeing them on the opposing wing. That they have been given free roam when it gets when they go forward. And now defensive units hate that. They absolutely hate because you normally have an assignment, right? He's my guy. Again, Preston played a three five two against us. So the wingers will be marking the wingers. That's kind of the fullbacks versus the fullbacks. That's what that 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 tries to create. Not all teams can manage it as well as Preston can. So when you're one-on-one, there are assignments given to the defenders to follow certain attackers. 
the way we play makes that impossible. And you have to swap to a zonal defence and now not all teams will be used to that. Birmingham conceding four. They sound like they're pretty decent at the back, but we'll give them a test I've not had before. And I think from looking at them play the last couple of games as well, I think the way we the way we attack will cause them problems. Um, but Critchlow's got to come in. Critchlow, Schindler and Stearman and um, that little bit of agility and ability should, should just help us a little bit more at the back than just the two old slow cart horses we had to sit through last year for game after game after game anyway. Yeah, I think Stearman looks brilliant. You know, he's, uh, he's really come on, really sort of... It's like he's, he's sort of um, adjusted his game. I think he's, he's sort of corrected the mistakes from last season in terms of finding himself sort of flat-footed and on the turn and he's given himself a bit more space. Um Schindler, just to sort of talk on Schindler, I'm still I've got uh, some concerns with Schindler and what a player he's been for us, you know. But I just think that maybe he's not match fit, is he? he hasn't been playing enough uh, as of late, um, so match fitness and game time might get him back to somewhere near where we'd like him to be. Um, so only time will tell with Schindler. But I think he, he looked very, I think he looked out of place yesterday, and it might be some might not agree, but. If you think a lot of the balls that were coming into steam and he's getting it down on the ground quickly, he's using him or he's using the triangles and, and they're sort of building them attacking sequences again. And when it gets to Schindler, boom, it's up in air, you know, and he's just hoofing it. And I don't know, he just didn't look to fit the kind of football that we're, we're blossoming into now. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be kind of left behind a little bit. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I love him. I invented the, uh, the invisible Schindler Shrine all them years ago. No, I love him as well, but... I, yeah. he, he, he's been my background on my phone for a very long time because he's a sexy, sexy man. But I I felt at the end of last season, it should... Oh, OT. <laughs> I, I've actually got that myself. I, I've replaced Delroy yeah. Facey. I'm, uh, I'm a fair critic. Uh, for the listeners, I'm just showing... Uh, the uh, wallpaper that uh, my brother Piro School did of Christopher Schindler. And I tell you what, we'll retweet it this week if you're listening. So like, again, so you can you can get it on. And I've got I've got, actually got that on my phone as well, but you can't see because if you turn my camera off, my my shitty Wi-Fi will go down. But I I love Christopher Schindler to bits. But I did feel at the end of last season, I think if he'd left. It would have been the end of, of a brilliant era and it would have been a nice goodbye. But then again, you look at last weekend, he made the most interceptions any centre-half has made this season. That, that play is still in there. I just, I think you're right. Where does he fit in with Carl Scorbrand? Because you've got a Richard Stearman, you know, he came in, he made an instant impact and he, he went, he had a bad period of form. But you've got to remember Richard Stearman's played a, a a lot higher level than Chris Schindler ever has done. He's played a lot more in the Premier League. He's played England under-21s. He was at Wolves for years. He's been a solid, not even better than a solid, really good championship bottom-end kind of Premier League player. He's, he's played at right-back and centre-back. So he's got that ability to do that. And, and I do wonder where Shindy sits in. I think if we're playing free at the back, Shindy gets in every day of the week. But... For a four-man defence and the way we want to be progressing and this is for the next three or four transfer windows we'll be looking at getting an upgrade on Schindler and Saar if we're going to make the leap from being a bottom six championship club to be a top half championship club so I, I, I love him 
but I, I just I have you, you know that gut feeling that you have you just think it's coming to the end of of, of that time together and I, I say it like he's he's like a special person in my life never 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 met the man but I bloody well love him so you know that that's me it'll be sad to see him go whenever he goes but I just don't know where he fits in at the minute. To, sorry, Greg. I listened to Paul Paul Parker. We're doing an, uh, my new legend, Paul Parker, doing an interview on Talksport this weekend, and uh, he was saying um, it was kind of a spin on like the sort of brilliant black defenders that we've had over the years. There've been some amazing defenders there, and he was talking about Des Walker in particular, and he was kind of saying where you know where do the Des Walkers fit in the modern game? And it's quite sad because they are fading out, aren't they? And I think Schindler's one of them. You know, sometimes it is a case of just putting your laces through the ball, you know, being a leader and clearing your lines. But in the sort of modern total football, um, you know, it doesn't quite fit. So it's quite sad that them defenders are fading out now. No, Schindler did that. You know, you look at the Premier League, and this is now turning into my shrines reappearing in the corner of my bedroom. Um <laughs> But you know, you think about the times he he was he was there, he was sliding on the ball, he was kind of he was just doing the simple things right. It's what you need. But you're right, we are going towards Corba ball, whatever you want to call it, total football, this new style of football. I'm not sure quite where he fits. And, and you know, Naby Sars coming in and made an instant impact. Eighty percent good, twenty percent bad. So it, it's going to be an interesting development where we go, especially in the next year with transfers which will come to very quickly. But um, I think it's only right that we, we get away from my shrine of Christopher Schindler. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for half an hour when we finish recording. Um, to, to, to the predictions for midweek, um, I think nil-nil be, will be probably what we're looking at here. Birmingham, Birmingham, you mentioned it, Cam. Jukovic, let's forget him. Nobody likes him around these parts. But Scott Hogan's an, an amazing talent and banged a lot of goals in at this level uh, for Brentford and for Villa. It's going to be tough to keep, but I just have nil-nil. It's got nil-nil for me written all over this. I think it's one we're going to have to really grind out. I think we thought that we aim at the Preston game for being a difficult one to watch. I think this is the one uh, that's, that's going to be... Uh, less appealing on the eyes. However, however, I back us to bounce back. Um, I believe now in the way that we've been playing on balance over the last few weeks, if the individual errors are cut out from this weekend, I would have us in the driving seat. So I'm going to say we sneak a 1-0 win again. Uh, I'm going to put a little Fraser Campbell label next to that goal as well. But yeah, I'm confident enough for this one. Um, I think a draw, then again, yeah, maybe I'd probably be happy with that, actually. I think that I don't want us to just go and see, see us fall to back-to-back defeats, but we're in a really busy part of the calendar now. Um, and no, I'd certainly take that. However, yeah, looking at it from a confident angle and definitely with the optimism of a few uh, unbeaten games behind us, I'm going to say we edge it 1-0. I think we owe everybody a formal apology anyway from uh, the last game, last uh, prediction we all made where we all said we were going to win and then we got... No, we did. By no, we did. Oh. I didn't say that. You don't count me on, Greg. You're miserable, Greg. You're miserable. We could win 50 games in a row and you still say we'll lose the next one. Yes, <laughs> because I'm six... a realist. Oh, really? Sorry, forgot. Um, but worse than that, Andy Kay, Adam Roberts, both put money on town to win and now come on, any town fan will put money on town to win. You're done. The game's over. We've lost. We've lost at that moment. 
So there's two people I blame for that defeat. So as long as no one puts money on town to win in the game coming up, I'm backing us for a 1-0 win as well, Cam. I think um, sent a lot of gamblers to rehab over the years. <laughs> you don't bet on town. You never bet on town. Come on, guys. No, I've got I, I find it acceptable. I find it acceptable to bet against town. Oh, yeah, definitely. Still, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because we love town enough that it never falls into that category where you're like, oh, well, I hope I lose because I want to win. No, that never happens, right? We're all proper town fans. I'd rather lose money in town win. But it so, softens uh, the blood, doesn't it? You know, when when sometimes what was the inevitable happens, and and oh, I've got that's I'm, it. I can, back. I can cry into my five pound bet that I put on. <laughs> yeah, Carlos, no, it's, it's like twenty five quid a ticket, but I can cry. <laughs> I've, I'll take five quid back on the bet against him. So know. yeah, Birmingham going to beat us one. Adam Clayton's going to score ninetieth minute winner because that's yeah, what happens yeah. down every time, isn't it? When we've got an ex player against us, they always turn up. Apart from Jutskovic, I don't think he's ever putting a good performance against us. Yeah, so, uh, I'm going to go for a two nil win, Karoma and Pippa. Just to put money on it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as Adam Roberts and Andy Kay don't put money on it we're laughing nice it's one guys a, it's like a 43 game unbeaten run I think for the last 15 games of that I was putting a five run town to lose every single time I was down a lot of money that's for sure um, right we'll move on from that and, and it's, it's it's on to the big decisions um, we had a podcast last week which went out a bit later than, than we normally do because we, we waited on the examiner interview with Phil Hoskinson and there was there was a lot of contradictions in that which if you if you really want to know what we felt about that it was middle of the road um phil's gone on radio leads uh yesterday i i must admit i did not know anything about it as soon as the game finished um, the radio was off and uh strictly come dancing i was preparing for that because there's nothing nothing better than strictly on a saturday night phil's come out and to be fair to him he's 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 open and honest i think they've got the memo which um Listen, we're, we, we've been probably the most critical and we've probably had the most shit on social media for, for, for calling the club out for it. But if, if it means that we have a better relationship with the club, I think it needs to be done. He's gone on Radio Leeds. He said some interesting things. Um, the the big point being, and, and Ian alluded to this in our pre, pre-podcast chat, was he, he, getting all the big decisions right. You could, there's, there's a very, very strong argument for that, actually. Um, he made a big call to, to bring in the Cowleys. He sat the Cowleys to, to perhaps because he couldn't back him as he had promised. But he's brought in Carlos, who um, I think we're all behind on the ball. The big decisions off it, as, as, as Carlos has been properly backed, I put it on Twitter yesterday, I felt that with this type of football, there's only so long that a coach or a manager can get the most out of a team before he will be on the chairman's door, the CEO's door, banging on it, going, I need this, this, this and this. Because otherwise there'll be someone from another club going, well, I can give you that, that, that and that. That's his next uh, big ask as a a chairman. But what did you make of the interview? Because like I said, it's it's good to have this drip feed of communication from the club once again. Well, I thought it was a step in the right direction. Uh, I've listened to this probably the most recently of all. I, 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 re- I listened to it in panic uh, just as well. We were about to re- record the, this uh, this podcast for having missed it when it came out. Um, yeah, do you know, I think, again, we've been very critical of, of, of Phil and his, uh, and, his, and his setup at times. I think we've praised what needs to be praised, but we've certainly been um, of the opinion that a lot could have been changed and done differently. However, you know, I'll happily say that listening to that, there was a lot of good in it. Um, I do think there were contradictions in there as well. 
I'm not going to lie, I, I, and, and I'll mention some of them. Uh, but a lot of interesting points made too. But to go to the one that you've just mentioned, Greg, about um, the 100% of the big decisions being right. Um, do you know, okay, it looks like he's got the Corbrand decision right, which you could say is the biggest decision of all. It was a, it was a gamble to get rid of the Cowleys. That looks to be paying dividends right now. Okay, I got him in in the first place as well, which undoubtedly saved our season. Um, however much of a hand in transfers he has, he's made some good ones. We've got Peeper, who's looking strong. Carol Lighting um, is looking a real talent in the middle of the park. However, in, in that sentence again, uh, there's another contradiction. Did he not come out in the Stephen, in, Stephen Chicken interview and say that, you know, he got the Paddy Power call wrong? And, you know, that was... The shirt, the shirt sponsorship, okay, for last season. But then he said that it's had a knock-on effect for this season's sponsorship deals. And obviously we've lost out on getting one from um, from the gambling companies that make up the vast majority of, um, of championship shirt sponsors. So I would call that a big decision. And he says, okay, he got that one wrong. But if I'm not going to take him too literally on his 100%, then okay, I think we can, we can move on from that. Um, again, there was a lot of mention of saying what Carlos wants, what Carlos needs when talking about January, etc. I hope that's not lift service. I hope that genuinely that's going to be listened to and that we're going to be, okay, if we're, if we're putting money aside for the future and we're banking the Carl and Grant money um, as it comes in, then, okay, we'll be able to spend. And what Carlos wants, which I take to mean surely fullbacks, given the style of football we play and how thin on the ground we are in those areas, I would like to see um, that followed through on. I wonder if we might see someone else through the door on a, on a free transfer between now and then. I know he said it's very dependent uh, on the football. I still have problems with some of the things that were mentioned about Rolando Aaron's deal, though, uh, if I'm honest, and saying about the strength of the squad. Uh, he doesn't think we have a weaker first 16 uh, for our first 18 in the last season. Um, I'm sure we'll all have his opinions on this, but mine, well, look, we've lost 60% of our goals from last year. We've lost Emile Smith-Rowe, who we were always going to lose, but have we replaced that? no. Jonas Lossel, second goalkeeper, very sturdy pair of hands. We now have one sturdy enough pair of hands and one that we don't know much of. So, I don't know. It was good to see that there was there was a bit of a dialogue. I like to see an actual interview come out um, back and forth. I thought Augie asked some good questions. Um, so, yeah, it, more of that I'd very much like to see. And fair play, it was nice to have an open, hear an open conversation. The invitation to come on here is still well and truly open, as I'm sure uh, we will all attest. Um, but you no, know, for me, still some problems in there with it. But no, it was it was a good sign, and I was I was I was pleased to hear some of that. I thought it was really good. I think Phil's been away in uh, communications rehab to improve his interviewing techniques because he's been banging. He was good. He was really good. He came across quite. He felt honest and, and truthful. It felt uh, we 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 have been as guilty as anyone to read for reading into everything the club has said recently and over the last six months because they've not said very much. And now it's like a bit, it's a bit like the ooh la la, we've been sport for choice in that we've had four interviews in the past two to three weeks, with it, with it being um, two national media and and now one with the examiner and one with um, Radio Leeds. And I, I thought the majority of it was actually pretty good. He was waxing lyrical about the Cowleys, about the, uh, sorry, Corbin. There's a little uh, slip in there because he said exactly the same thing about the Cowleys when they joined. When they came in, he, he spoke nonstop about how wonderful it was to be the men and how the visions were, blah, 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 blah. So I'm not buying into that just yet. What what you do take from that is that he said something on the lines of the 10 games in that we'll judge where we are after the 10 games and we've got no real target in where we want to finish it for the end of the season. We're just going to 10 games in. We don't want to be looking over our shoulder at relegation, but we want to imprint the identity 
with Carlos and, and what the club wants. And that's great. As long as you're above that, uh, looking over the shoulder, I don't know quite what that um, limit is, but um, we've still got three more games. I think four games left in this little tiny um, concentrated patch of games. And we'll see where we are at that point. But it could, it could go anywhere. If players get injured, we might be down the bottom. If we win a couple, we'll be flying high. So it's, it's going, to be a, it's going to be fun to be able to look back after 10, 11 games and see exactly where we are and compare to that to what Phil wanted. So that's actually good for us because we've now got something um, qualitative to compare the club's expectations to what Corbyn's actually providing on the field and, and in regards to points gained. Um, I can mention the 16 to 18 squad players in that Phil reckons, okay, they're, they're better than they were last year. That's okay. Say it's 18. Let's give him 18. The only problem there is that Four missing are ASR, Grant, Mounier and Willock. And I'm not a massive Willock fan, but you look at how many goals we're missing from there. We've downgraded on all those four players. And at the moment, we've found a better way to create goals from deep, from fullbacks, from midfielders. Fantastic, great, lovely. But you still need your strikers to dig in. Luckily, Campbell has been so clinical. And if that continues, we won't have a problem. Karoma, his goal last week was phenomenal. The composure he showed to put in a little fake shot and then drag it back across the face of goal is top quality. That's grantesque, that finish. We didn't really speak of that much last week, but that was as good. That was something you could see Carlin doing. That's exactly that type of goal that he'd have pulled out. It was great. Fortunately, he's not conditioned well enough, so he maybe struggled to, to start this weekend and we really did pay for it until he came on at the end. But um, no, well done to the club on that one. I, I don't know what, what has changed, but Phil's approach to it has definitely improved. I think he mentioned throughout that DTS was looking at him a little bit funny when he when he started talking of something. So I think it's a little bit, um, it's well structured for, for him to be able to to speak well and come across well to us because I thought it was 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 good. Um, he did say one other thing that in regards to his, he's made a 100% right decision when it comes to big decisions. He said when he came to the club, he'd never seen anybody so down in regard to the players looking absolutely demotivated into the dumps, right? And then the next breath, he said, we need a full squad reset. There was a lot of fans last summer, the summer we were relegated from Premier League, screaming that, screaming that the club required a huge turnover in players because the confidence issues built and destroyed in the Premier League would really suffer in regards to the the success of the club throughout our first season in the Championship last year. They didn't do it. The club didn't do it. And now we're cutting costs. Now we're selling Congolo for a little bit more than $4 million, according to Phil on the, on the interview. So now we're cutting costs. Now we're trying to get rid of players, not necessarily for what they're worth, but just to get them off the books so we can try and rebuild. We should have done this 12 months ago. And that was under Phil's purview. Since then, it's been better. Ruthlessness has been great. I like ruthlessness in a chairman because you need it. If things are not going right, change something. You have to change something. And he's it, it, got Corbin right. Fair point. Just, uh, I just I don't want to say the word because it's a Gary Monk word, but it, it, it just needs a little bit more humility, don't it, from the club. And, and the interview and the examiner showed that you know it was a very defensive, in, in part, in, interview. And it just needs to say, listen, we got it, we got it wrong. I think those words were in there, but it was the way that they were said. It was like, oh, we've been an open club, etc., etc., etc. You know, when a guy on Twitter can make a 20-odd thread about every single thing you've done and it's against, they come against you, I think you might just need to reset and go, actually, there's, there's a better way of doing this. And, and you know, th- there are permutations to this. You've got fans not in grounds. There's the dis- growing ever disconnect. 
which could be linked to that, but I'm not entirely sure it is. I think it goes from three seasons with, you know, we had the three-year anniversary at the weekend of Town beating Man United. It was a very good birthday for me back in the day. But, uh, you know, after that, for three years, we had pretty much, we've pretty much gone through every single emotion bar elation. And as football fans, that, that kind of wears you down. So, yeah, I think I'm happy to wear that dialogue and it'd be nice to wear it on a, not not on a weekly basis, which some people would want, but just a, a regular basis. Because there are, the club have got to keep us engaged because there is there is a real risk. I mean, let's be honest, we're not going to be going back into a football ground this season. So uh, you've got to keep us on, on the hook probably until next day, August. I think April at the earliest, but there you go. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a virologist or whatever. I'm just a, a simpleton who, uh, who has an opinion like everyone else. Um, finally, it's, it's why Sean's on. No more, Smile a While, which is very disappointing. I used to enjoy reading it when it was distributed around the Vulcan back in the day. Um, a, a lovely, lovely, can I just say, a lovely little um, uh, statement that you uh, you popped out on, on Twitter the other day, which which um, you can go to see at Smile a While Zine uh, on Twitter. But... Um, Nice little collaboration with HTSA. It's been a good couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been good. It's been really good. Uh, one of my most enjoyable projects to date. Sad that it's coming to an end, to be honest, but I think it's it's the right decision. You know, it's it's a labour of love doing a fanzine. Um, it's a very sort of underground culture, so to speak, in, in the footballing world of England. And, you know, it's, it's great that there's still people out there many clubs around West Yorkshire and England that are doing these, uh, you know, fanzines and, you know, putting blood, sweat and tears into these little pieces of paper. Um, so, yeah, I've done 13, 13 printed issues, I think three or four podcasts. Um, I've had the pleasure of speaking to Andy Booth, John Dyson, Rodney Rowe, Alan Sweeney and Andy Thackeray, John Stead, Ian Dunn, Gary Roberts, Danny Schofield, Rob Edwards and Peter Jackson. So for me, that list, I'm happy with that list. I can retire on that list. Um, but yeah, no, there's still plenty of things in the pipeline. That, um, Jim uh, Chisholm, uh, I'm sure a few lads will know who Jim is, is uh, um, jobbed me already to be part of the Huddersfield Town Heritage Project. So um, I'm still going to be very much uh, around the club and and doing some good things, um, but yeah, the uh, the fanzine is no longer. Any favourite interviews out of all of them? I mean, I, I I remember watching the couple that you did. I think the Jacko one is 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 a highlight for me. Just uh, available on SoundCloud still, I believe, if is, that's yeah. right. Um, but yeah, what what were your favourite interviews from the, those times? Um. Oh, there's plenty. Uh, John Steads. I really enjoyed John Steads because if you think he's been such a journeyman in the sport and, you know, he played under, under Graham Sooners, he played under Mark Hughes, uh, obviously was part of the, the youth that came through that great youth setup, uh, um, Peter Jackson. And it, uh, John Steads was really, really interesting because he, he, he obviously went to the Premier League really quickly and then didn't really have the delights that he expected and was was relegated and, and part of them kind of uh, clubs that were struggling to keep their head above water, but it was playing under 
sort of former legendary footballers. So that was really interesting. Um, who else? Um, Rob Edwards was brilliant. We um, did that podcast at my brother's studio at Bates's Mill in Huddersfield and he came and sat down and we did an hour and he, he, he would have given me another hour. You know, what a, what a lovely bloke he is. Um, Rob Edwards just talking about his upbringing, sort of playing for Stockport and crew. Um, going through the crew uh, youth set up doing his YTA and then coming over the hill to Huddersfield and actually settling in Huddersfield in home Firth. Um, that was a great interview. Boothie was probably, you can't beat Andy Booth, can you? I mean, that, he has always been my hero from when I first got a season ticket, I think it was 96, 97 season, uh, or 97, 98, one or other. And uh, I was working in a school at the time and I had an all-star lineup in my year group. Um, uh, it was a, a Earl Crabtree's daughter, John Dyson's daughter, Andy Booth's son, uh, Andy Thackeray's son. And it went on and on and on. So I thought, this is a brilliant time. So I, rang, I got Andy Booth's name off the, uh, the school system and I rang him off the back of an attendance call. Uh, and I got, <laughs> I got Boothie in to school um, and I sort of booked out a, a meeting room and uh, I've still got the recording. You can hear a bell going off in the background. And he's like... Uh, uh, do you need to go, Sean? I'm like, no, no, we can have another 10. <laughs> and then when I was signing him out, everyone were getting his autograph and I'm like, it's all been exposed now. <laughs> but no, some delightful interviews. Um, Ian Dunn was a good one. Uh, talking about his time at Ghoul and at York and how he became like a York legend. And then um, I think it, Sure, it was a contact by a Jimmy Lawson that brought Ian Dunn into town back in the day in the early 90s. So there's loads of things that I would have never known uh, that sort of came through through the interviews. So um, the digital copies are going to be part of the Heritage Project. Um, and I'm going to continue to run the, the page um, as like a fan page. So I'm still going to be doing bits and bobs and sort of uh, posting things around and being part of things. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a good good roller coaster. It's nice that your labour of love's kind of been uh, kept going posthumously by the, the heritage stuff. So if you want to listen to Sean's stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll drop the links on our Twitter page. But uh, at Smile of Wilesine, uh, on, on Twitter and yeah, the couple of uh, the Jacko one is definitely on SoundCloud because uh, it's probably one of my favourite interviews to listen to of all probably last five or six years that so um, good luck with that Sean thank you very much for coming on we'll have you back don't worry you're not you're not just being brought on for one week and thrown to the wayside it'll make sure Ian keeps you on um, Cam Ian thank you once again for, for joining us on a Sunday on this Zoom call Um We'll be back sometime soon. Um, let's hope Town can get some points in that time because at one point we were fifth in the as it stands table yesterday and then at another point we were solidly in mid-table. Season's going to be very, very interesting. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>